What are they called? It's a mystery. It's a bit of fun, eh? Not really. It's gonna be great. What do you think? I'm working. But if they make it big, maybe I'll see him on the telly. What? Yeah, just drumming up support. Not sure it's her scene, though. I hate to let you down, but I can't make tomorrow. I forgot I had plans. Didn't realise you had such a busy calendar. Yeah, look, I'll come to the next one. Yeah, assuming you're invited. Your own mouth, no trousers. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 227 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Condition Street catch-up podcast that didn't know Kid Rock had so many fans in Weatherfield. I'm Gavin. And I'm Spooky. Spooky Helen. Spooky. For Halloween? Yes. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Are you spooky? You're not particularly spooky this morning. I think I'm spookier than you are this morning. Yeah, you're wearing your Misfits t-shirt. I am. It's so spooky. Spooky. <laughs> yeah, they did the, the Main Street trick-or-treat this past week and I got a little sad. Oh, goodness. Got a little sad because we don't have children who who want to walk around with their parents to trick-or-treat anymore. And you don't have parent who wants to walk around with parents <laughs> Yeah, I have no. I've excuse. never been a fan of Halloween. I, I don't have an excuse to to put a costume on you anymore. Stop dressing me up like Susan Boyle. <laughs> you made a great Hagrid. That was Hagrid. Benny Benny was Harry, and Stella was Hermione, and Dobby was Dobby. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> yeah, and, and I used my my costume that I went to the Lansing Comic Con in. Did you, Professor McGonagall? Where I I fought um, I fought Voldemort at Comic Con. That was fun because there was a guy dressed as, as Voldemort. Uh, and I we assumed did some, it wasn't. I wasn't. And we did some pictures where we were battling one another, pointing our wands at one another, and lots of people took pictures and they loved it. So mm. I like to dress up like wizards. I don't. I don't know why. And witches. <sighs> you know, as I mentioned in our other podcast, I dressed up as as the brown wizard from. Lord of the Rings for You're Grand just, Rapids Comic Con. Just determined to make yourself sound cool as fuck. I am cool as fuck. Mm. And spooky. <laughs> yep. Yep. So what's the deal with Halloween this? This is Monday, right? Yeah. And Stelly's going as, as Papa Smurf. Papa Smurf. And Benny is on crutches, so he doesn't get to go. And he doesn't seem all that sad about it. I mean, he's 16, so kind of getting towards the end he'll take the candy but i don't think he's anyway. that interested in the effort right in the dressing up to and get stuff. It. Mm-hmm. yeah and like the other two he's not really a nerd in that way he's a sports nerd he'll he can tell you lots of different statistics about he's a fifa nerd soccer that's about it which is fine we are all different we're, we're all, all different. wonderful in our own ways how how are you this week I've got a bit of a crackly throat still. Just a little bit of a crackly throat. Yes. I lost my voice through the week because I was shouting too much at a soccer match. Yes, yes, because Benny's... I haven't done that in years. Because Benny's team made the 
championships for the state or not the state regionals is that how you want to remember it i don't remember it at all because i didn't go yeah they won the districts right last weekend which is why we recorded on the friday right and then they progress from <coughs> they progress from the districts to the regional which i thought was the final on tuesday night mm-hmm. and it turned out that it wasn't it was just no. the semi-final and if I'd known it was just a semi-final, I maybe wouldn't have shouted quite as much. Oh, you would have. No, I don't think I would have, because <laughs> I, th- I thought more was uh, hanging on the game than mm. than there was. But they won that on penalties, but then right. on Thursday, in the, in the final for the regionals, they, they lost on penalties. Mm. But I'd lost my voice by that point, so mm. I, I couldn't shout. Yeah, and you were sitting <laughs> next to the go white woman. No, it was Saturday. Yeah. Not on Thursday. On yeah. Thursday, I was kind of like the go white woman, just by continually shouting yeah. over and over again. But which not I go haven't white. done since I went to go and see Alawa. I lost my voice watching Alawa a few times. Oh, but never watching, never watching Benny, high school boys play. Benny's played been played soccer since he was five years old, and this is the last time before now that you lost your voice was for Alawa. Yeah, screaming. You weren't screaming for other soccer matches of Betty's over the past 11 years? Not as much as that. No, I'm not lying to you. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. No, and it was all the way in Williamston, which is like 40 minutes away. Yeah, so I've been an awful lot of driving about between here and there over the week. uh, But but a bit busier outside of work than I normally like. But anyway. Which is good. It's good. To no, it's not good. It it's is too much. It is good to get you out of the house and doing things that aren't work. With all that said, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give me some of that long distance Cory news. Apparently, it's Black History Month in the UK. Did you know that? Uh, I think I saw something about it, yeah. 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 And Metro decided to celebrate by interviewing three of the Baileys. The last week of the month for Black History Month. Nobody remembered until the last week. And then they're like, oh, shit, we need to oh, do something. Oh, Messi's glass half empty. <laughs> I'm very, very cynical about pretty much everything in the world, but it's fine. In her interview, our Aggie, Lorna Laidlaw, is revealed that she is directing a play called She's Royal about Queen Victoria's Asian and Black goddaughters with an all-female cast and crew, front and back of the house. I'm booking my flight now. What a legend. I'm, this is so interesting to me because I did not know that two of Queen Victoria's goddaughters, one was Asian and, and one was Black, and, and the Black woman, horribly, was gifted to Queen Victoria when she was a young child. Hmm. And and eventually became well. became considered a, a a goddaughter, you know. So it ended up well, but you know, in the beginning it was gifting a human to another human, and yikes. But uh, yeah, Lorna was like when she was asked to do it, she's like, "I will do it if it's all female, light lighting, stage crew, all the cast." And they're like, yeah, but there are there are guy parts in this play. And she's like, if Shakespeare could make men women, I can make women men. And so she did. She got what she wanted. And that's pretty awesome. Good for her. Yes, absolutely good for her. I'm giving you a hard time for uh, 
given Metro a hard time. Right. But I've always been kind of cynical of the fact that Black History Month over here is in February, mm-hmm. the shortest month. <laughs> there is a reason for it. I can't remember. I'm what sure it is. there is. And I'm sure there's a reason why it's October in the UK. And uh, the, the woman whose name escapes me right now, who played Dee Dee, rightly said, because like the questions were like, what does Black History Month mean to you? Mm. Sort of questions. And she rightly said something about, you know, it really should be called British Black History Month because, you know, there are so many pe- black people within British UK history that just never get talked about. Mm. In the history books, and and it, we we do sometimes talk about the civil rights movement in America, and and talk about famous Black Americans, and we really should be talking more about Black British people, and I think she's right. <laughs> anyway, moving on, I'm jumping off my soapbox now. I'm sure you've got a little step to allow you to get back up on it qu- <laughs> quickly if needed. <laughs> Shane Ward and Catherine Tildesley. Not Tildesley. Ah. I was so proud of myself for not saying Tildesleydale, and then you had to remind everyone that I used to call her Tildesleydale. Yeah, you used to frequently do it. Ah, you're such a jerk. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they may have said farewell to the cobbles, but not to each other, as they are going to be co-starring in a new primetime murder show called The Good Ship Murder. Well, that sounds good. Which, <laughs> <laughs> she's like the director of this cruise ship. And he's a detective who has chosen to give up his career as a detective to become a cabaret singer. And yet he does this and people keep dying on the cruises Mm. and then they have to solve the crimes together. So it's basically murder she wrote on a ship. Yeah, I kind of figured that out from the title. (laughs) And I think I've got maybe 60% of what happens on it in my mind. It's it's the love boat with death. (laughs) The death boat, if you will. The death be the boat title. <laughs> will be sailing to you. Maybe we should pitch that because apparently the... the death Boat. Yes. I think Death Boat was a movie. Be- because apparently Good Ship Murder Which is, is the worst title in the world, let's be honest. Is, 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 a, is, a, is a title in progress. Oh, thank so. God. <laughs> good Ship Murder. Yeah, it needs another syllable, it's doesn't it? It's a short it? trip. To hell. <laughs> Very good. Still, it'll be fun to see them to see them together again. Hit me up if you want a theme tune for that. Yeah. And finally, Eileen may have gotten a personality shift this week, but Sue Cleaver got something even better. A new grandson. This is her fourth grandchild and arrived just in time to wave bye-bye to Nana as Sue leaves for Australia, possibly to appear in I'm a Celebrity. Are we, are we still saying possibly on that? I think I'm going to upgrade that to probably. Right, yeah. But everybody's everybody's still being very coy about it. Yeah, so they haven't announced we are, yet. So we will continue to be coy about it. And just say probably. Or possibly. Yeah, probably. I think she'll be good on that. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. If she is, I, did I watch the last one? I can't remember if I watched the last one or not. We watched the one with what's her name <laughs> during during lockdown when they were locked in that castle. Oh, in the Wales. Welsh one. Yeah, didn't they do the castle in Wales two years? Did, I think they did that last year as well. Yeah, but now it's back in Australia. So, and they're doing one in South Africa, I think. Ugh. I don't think there were jungles in South Africa. 
Well, I'm sure there's something in South Africa that's frightening. Yep. Yeah, I guess I, I guess there isn't a jungle in Wales. No. 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 I guess. I mean, I haven't been to Wales, yeah. so there I, are can, lions. I can't say for sure. There so it's possibly there's no jungle th- in Wales. I do believe there are still lions and stuff in South Africa. Just not apartheid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News, which... <laughs> Ending on apartheid. <laughs> <sighs> Once again. Once again. Because you've said apartheid, that brings us on to World Podcast for Coffee. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Trisha. Thank you, Trisha. For our coffees this week. Now, this week and for the remainder of October, the whole, what, two, three days are left. For the remainder of the month, we will be donating all our coffee money to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, bcrf.org. We will be matching listener contributions. My place of employment will match those contributions and BCRF match the whole thing again. So I think we're at 30 bucks at the moment, which we will match to 60, which my work will match match to 120, which BCRF will match to 240. Wow. If there are no more donations this month, then that's 240 bucks that's going to breast cancer research, which I think is pretty neat. Pretty awesome. But if you want to join in before the end of the month and before we start using that money to buy coffee again, <gasps> you can do so by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative. Yeah. As we were to Trisha. Thanks again, Trisha. Thank you, Trisha. And now, this... It's spooky. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Too spooky. Last year tonight with me, Spawn, Polliver. I don't think Pollivers are scary. Spawn is scary. But the comic book character, kind of. You done? Yes. Just enough time to quickly talk about <laughs> liquor and knicker. But not like that. That's right. <laughs> this was Sean talking to Carla about Johnny being a great boss in both of his jobs, both liquor and knicker. Right. So he wasn't even making a sexy double entendre because he does not want to lick her nor nick her. <laughs> I believe that is to be the case. Yes. I was Gavin and you were so ashamed you mistook Richard Marks for Brian Adams. You know what? I don't know what that means, so I'm going to say no, I don't know what. This morning, I mistook Richard Marks for um, for that guy who played Hercules. You know, who's Arnold really... Schwarzenegger? Cons- no. Who's really... Uh, Kevin Sorbo. Who's really conservative and racist and stuff. Like... Oh, keeping it light. Yeah. Uh, uh, apologies again this year to Richard Marks. Stelly's plans to be slashed for Halloween were scuppered when, oddly, you bought her a top hat. Instead, she went as something from the Lorax or whatever. Who cares? She was the Wensler. And she was great. That was a great costume. I'm quite proud of that costume. You were up to your tits and drugs, so it was interesting to see where the podcast was going to go that morning, I remember. <laughs> yes, this was during our, our our long travail with strep throat last year. And pneumonia. Yes. In the aftermath of Horror Nation Street, David tries to keep the lid on his sinkhole <laughs> but not like that. And the responsibility for which, and all the other sinkholes, and by extension, Johnny's death. 
For reasons not entirely understood or palatable, we have to send Natasha off to the big hair salon in that London in the sky, as Nick worries about Sam's and his ability to cope. Still angry with the show for that. Mm-hmm. Dev is determined to overcompensate for leaving Addy for dead in a burning car, so makes him assistant manager to his empire. Wait, so we have two mum death anniversaries like within the same week because because the show loves to kill mums. Yeah, that's what mums are there for, isn't it? Right. See, Bethany and Natasha died within... Bethany? Not Bethany. Sinead. Oh, God. <laughs> kind of bad that you, I mistook the two of them just you, like you just, Daniel did. You just pulled a Daniel. I did pull a Daniel. I was going to cut that out but now I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> the mystery of the missing Weddy County rucksack is finally resolved to a non-disco dancing homeless gentleman named Stu. <gasps> I wonder if he'll become important later. <laughs> Emma tries to talk Steve into funding research and it cuts his hair loss with money raised for Oliver. Yikes. Mm. Ryan overhears the Dan conducting some shady business in the alleyway of doom. A missing gun and missing note cause separate but equally important issues for Abby, who is trying to organise her wedding at last. Hashim walks into a cameraman. <laughs> Steve finishes his crossword. <coughs> and Daisy's not for sharing her panel chocolat. Our moment of the week was Sam and Natasha's Against the World for the final time. Oh my God, that's making me sad just thinking about that. And a boring moment of the week was Hashim's constant vigil in the alleyway of doom. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Remember when he died of a heart attack and everybody just stared at him? (laughs) Because they thought he was putting it on. It's hilarious. It was a pantomime heart attack, wasn't it? (laughs) Oh! Oh, Ugh! I'm coming, Elizabeth! No? That took a turn. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is Summertime Blues. Ugh. Just some Monday scenes for this storyline this week. On really? Monday, I thought there was some on Friday too. No. Shona's mental illness from being shot in the stomach a couple of Christmases ago now means that she sees animals in the capuchu foam. This Sorry, lo- she makes animals in the capuchu foam. Oh, is that what happens? Yes. This will crop up multiple times on Monday. And then Summer and Aaron are discussing their upcoming appointment with Gadas. And Billy comes in and offers to go with Summer, but Summer would rather go with Aaron. So Billy has to wring his hands a bit. Yeah, this is not one of those appointments you want your dad to go to, no, Billy. or the vicar. No. <laughs> Especially if they're the same person. Exactly. Back home and the appointment seems to have gone well and Summer's been referred Summer talks about being sad, which is her general level of chat these days. She tells Aaron to go and take care of his dad and she'll be fine, she says. It, isn't his dad in rehab? Yeah. Isn't he shut away in a rehabilitation centre? He's not coming home every night from rehab. That kind of defeats the purpose of rehab. Maybe it is. Maybe that's what's happening. That's, that's not how rehab works, though. Maybe he's at rehab on an outpatient basis. Gets out just in time for the pub's opening. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe that's maybe that's the style of rehab that they have in Coronation Street. Aye, aye, aye. So that means that Summer is alone when creepy weirdo Christian Esther comes over. And when Summer explains that she's decided to go along with the abortion after all, Esther is clearly upset and casts up how desperately she and Mike want a baby. And she reminds Summer she'd be well taken care of financially. And Billy comes in, hears the tail end of this, and is appalled. He is. He points out what exactly she's proposing here, buying a baby. 
And just may- like Queen Victoria. And maybe God doesn't want you to have a baby then, you fucking freak. Billy throws Esther out, spouting that while he doesn't approve of abortions, he doesn't sanction baby trafficking neither. But Summer, rather than being grateful, is outraged that Billy doesn't approve of her decision and she storms out. Yeah, I, I'm really of two minds with how the show is handling Billy's Christianity here. Yeah, me too. Because, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable about abortions. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not like the fact that abortions have to exist. I think most people think that. Yeah. So, you know, for him to not say, you know, well, I condemn this. He doesn't say, ah, well, I... I condemn this, but I also condemn blah, blah, blah. He says, well, I'm not comfortable with this. And who is comfortable with abortion? Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to have an abortion. No. No little girl says, I can't wait to grow up so I can have an abortion. I know a lot of conservatives like to paint people like that. Yep. Or people using abortion as a contraception and things like that. Right. Yeah. Which does happen. But not as frequently as the right would like you to think. Mm. So for the show to, you know, to cast it as Summer being right here, which it does, as we will see in a minute, I'm not hugely comfortable with that. I think, I think. I think there's, this is a deeper discussion that it would be nice if they explored it further. I recognize that they have limitations because they are a soap opera. But I also noticed that well, they like to do this whole, you know, Saturday morning special, a very special topic about a very special thing that happens in our society all the time. We did five minutes talking about refugees last week. So, right. I yeah. Think, I think and, we can spare a couple of minutes just to allow Billy to explain himself a little bit better. And I think that's really the problem is he doesn't express himself all that clearly. Right. Or he expresses himself in a way that Summer, if she wants to, she can interpret that as a dig against her, which she wasn't really doing. No, he wasn't at all. You know, and and Summer later will say something about, well, I know you're religious. And it's like, is Billy the only religious person in his family? Did, 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 did Summer not grow up in the church? With with a dad as a vicar, it it. Well, no, she grew up with Drew. Yeah, that's true, but it just it makes Christianity seem like this real outlier, which I think it's becoming. Yeah, but I don't know. It just it it this this whole thing rubs me the wrong way mm. in many different in many different directions, which just makes it all the worse. Continue. So Summer goes to Maxine's bench to read a big book about abortion. <laughs> Todd sits with her and insists that Billy only wants what's best for Summer. And this is difficult for him. And he's somehow making her abortion about him. But it's complicated. And he tells her that she's Billy's number one priority. Which is true. And also not true. Because I don't think his comment was intended to make it all about him. I think it's that just... was my interpretation more than what was actually said. Yeah, it's just... You know, it's okay for him to have mixed feelings about it. And it's unfair to say, you're not allowed to have mixed feelings about this. Talking about mixed feelings, that's the McRib back at McDonald's. (laughs) I do love a McRib until I eat a McRib. Did you see, like, some journalist or something posted 
a pic, a video of them making the McRib. Nope, with, and I do not want to know. Where no, where they just they basically they put they put the little riblets of meat. Riblets. I think it's a patty. Well, they're like they're they're not really shaped like a patty. Patties are circ- no, circular. No, they're, they're ribbed for her pleasure. Right. Absolutely. But they 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 put them on the ribbed. They put them on the you know on the griddle. fry thing the griddle, you know, and then they put it in this little drawer filled with the barbecue sauce to to keep warm and to and the guy's like oh this is so hugely disgusting that's where they put the nuggets I think and so yeah and so many people are like dude do, what exactly do you find horrendous and disgusting here they're not like did you expect them to have like. A slaughterhouse and a smoker in the back of a McDonald's oh, and gonna, carefully curate the... They're going to cut a McRib-shaped chunk out of a Out of a pig. pig. And then smoke <laughs> it for hours. And out of a pig, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> this is how they cook everything at McDonald's. They're not throwing it on the ground. They're putting it in these little drawers. It's not like a huge open vat of barbecue sauce. No, I've seen these drawers before. Yeah. I've seen them. Yeah fanning about and that sort of stuff. Anyway, so... So are we going to so, have McRibs for dinner tonight? There may be a McRib in my future, <laughs> yeah. So Todd just wanders into Billy's flat and explains about his conversation with Summer and how hurt she is because of Billy's sanctimonious manner. He was not sanctimonious I know, I know, at all! I know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm applying this exaggeration here. Aye. Billy says he appreciates that this is Summer's decision, but it's a human life and he doesn't think Summer's making the right choice. Todd points out that it's her choice, though, and she needs his support, and he tries to cast up his leaving to him, but Todd isn't falling for it, doesn't care that this is difficult for Billy, and tells him to think of his daughter, and only his daughter, who he claims to love. Mm. Yeah, yeah, this is all very rich coming from Todd. (laughs) So Todd leaves, and when Summer gets home, Billy's done a complete 180, has put his own beliefs behind him, apologises for letting her down, and now insists that his one and only job is to be in Summer's Corner. And he is. Right. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. And that's, you know, all's well that ends well. It it absolutely should be, look, I'm in your corner no matter what. It's okay for him also to say, I'm not necessarily comfortable with your decisions, like having unprotected sex. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think should be what everybody say. Like, Summer, didn't we raise you to have safe sex? You've been raised by three gay men. You should know all about safe sex. <laughs> yeah, there should be at least three condoms in there and that. And I think, as Mary Tart suggested, a, a bin bag with an elastic band. There should be multiple layers there if right. she is truly the vicar's daughter. You know what I was remembering? I was remembering when they did the, when Amy was the one who was pregnant. Right. Do you remember when Amy was the one who was pregnant? I do remember When she that. was the teen pregnant person on the street. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And and Summer was one of her friends. hmm And I believe Summer still had her old head at that point. But I remember saying to you on the podcast, and I'm sure if people went back, they'd hear me say this. That's not going to happen. No. But anyway... I said this would never happen to Summer because Summer has a level head on her, you know, and and wouldn't make these poor decisions Hmm. like having unprotected sex. (sighs) They've never really, and I don't need 
an awful lot more detail on this. Mm-hmm. But they haven't gone into that kind of detail, whether it was an accident or whether something Broke. ripped or she forgot to take her pill for a month or whatever. I don't think she's on the pill. No, she's not on the pill. But I don't know. There's just bits of this, that, aside from the fact that it's yet another teen pregnancy right. with capital letters. Right, yeah, in, in the year of our uh, Lord, 2022. Aside from that, it just... It feels like it's a conveniently mean storyline to have on her now. Just yeah. conveniently mean and right. and and bad spirited. Right. To yeah. To just conjure this out of right. apparently maybe a dalliance at the hotel or a dalliance in a room that we don't ha- really haven't really had any detail around about because at the hotel it seemed very much that they were just going to the bar and watching movies on right and the hotel yeah. room and eating popcorn and stuff right. so because they're still basically children right and neither one of them seemed really all that comfortable about giving it up right you know they were not as ready as asha or not asha um addy and yeah. and kelly were yeah who obviously did practice safe sex but they talked about it and they talked about right they talked about it in the aftermath as well right yeah Th- this this is nothing like that this very much feels like it's just kind of thrown on summer right. for for bad faith reasons right yeah what else can we do to summer yep and just stop stop giving summer storylines give that child a break I'm not against a summer storyline. I mean, I, I think she's quite a mopey character, but the world needs mopey characters, I guess. Yeah. But I'm not against summer storylines. But just the just the rut that they've fallen into recently of picking a character and just throwing all Everything. the shit that they can think of at her. Right. And it's usually her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Although it seems like... I, I, I kind of feel like the whole Max stuff is different. Because, because he's he's not. Because I was gonna say, except for Max, but Max is very much all of all of the shit that they keep throwing at the girls. It all seems very passive, mm. like things are being done to them. Right. Whereas Max is doing things. Yes, yeah, he's very much the instigator. Right. And that's not. If you are that character, then you keep on doing that. Right. But you can't be the pearls of Penelope Pitstop who's always finding yourself tied to a railroad track. Mm-hmm. That You become the unluckiest person <laughs> in the world if that happens right. like three or four times. And that's what seems to keep on happening to the likes of Abby and the likes of Nina and the Kelly likes of Summer now. And, and Kelly. Summer. Yep. Yep. And Asha. All women for some reason. All young women. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well. Oh, well. No doing this to Rita. That's all I'm saying. Did they did they do this? <coughs> did they do this to Rita when she was younger though? Or was she just I've like never watched the show when she's been younger? Singing and and having <laughs> lots of lots of sex with lots of people. The last I saw of of, uh, of Rita was with the Anthony character who's been in classic Corey mm-hmm. recently, but he moved to the New Zealand ah, and okay. she refused to yeah. go. Bring back that stuff. Bring back. Bring back the days where everybody was jumping into bed with one another's spouses and there were no consequences whatsoever and there's lots of dalliances and, and risque behavior and Oh no, because that that would be the Tim and Aggie stuff. 
And I didn't want that to happen. Well, no, not with Tim and Aggie, obviously. Okay, well, sure. <laughs> Moving on then, our next storyline is We Will Always Have Sex Cardigan. On Monday at Daniel's, <laughs> Paul has fixed the bathroom door, so no more cheap freebies for Daisy. <laughs> Daniel points out that there's nothing stopping her moving in now. She suggests making some changes to the flat away, get away from the bachelor pad feel that it has. But Daniel insists, nope, the flat stays how it is. And Daisy can go and stuff her ideas up her arse. Right, up her arse. I timed that just so you were taking a drink of coffee there. Yeah, nice. It's hilarious that she calls that a bachelor pad. Mm. When it's still very much decorated the way Sinead decorated it. Yeah, she doesn't want to say that, though. No. Daniel will hear no more about it. He's putting his foot down. Yeah, and he also, he's so ridiculous. He's like, this is this is the only place that, that Bertie has ever known, and yeah. I don't want to take that from him. So, it's like, so dude. B- Bertie's against decoration, then? Dude. No emulsion paint in Bertie's life. Children are so very resilient. You can move them around. It's fine. If he's anything like me as a kid... I loved it when there was decoration going on and we were moving furniture about. That was Mm -hmm. all exciting stuff. And then putting things in a different order so your bed's against a different wall and all that. Oh, yeah, I love that. Oh, that was fantastic. Still love that. Right? Yeah. Like we... Oh, well, I've got this little side table that has been sitting in my car for a week that I need to bring into the house and put in the living room and take down that luggage rack with the suitcase because I don't think that's really working in that space. And I'm really excited about it, and I don't know why I haven't done it yet. In the Rovers, Adam comes in and Daisy has a moan to him about his nephew. Except it's not his nephew. You it's mean, his uncle. Right, yeah. Max is his nephew. By marriage. By marriage, yeah. Adam didn't think she knew Jamie or Warren. Who? Asks Who? Daisy. That's right. Daisy has mistaken Adam for being Daniel's uncle and not the other way around. Anyway, he points out that Daniel's been a twat because it's Sinead's death anniversary tomorrow and he's surprised that she didn't know. Well, Daniel didn't tell her. I thought it was hilarious because you posted about this on our Twitter. Yeah. And then somebody responded by saying... Yes. (laughs) I chose to ignore that. Yeah. That happens. That happens frequently. I've posted something that basically says... On Elon Musk's Twitter. (laughs) I've posted something that basically says, hey, the sky is blue. And somebody posts and i think you'll find that the sky is blue <laughs> it's either that or you know i really like pancakes and somebody posted what do you have against waffles <laughs> <sighs> so adam goes to see daniel and choose him out over keeping daisy in the dark daniel man of letters didn't know how to tell her adam says that he's taking care of it for him and warns him to treat daisy better because they make a good couple and stuff right yeah he was against daisy at first but and still against her i think but sees that the two of them are good together right yes it's funny how daniel man of letters has never been very good at speaking to women right just like his dad so (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) and it was i think Nearly half an hour into the podcast when we got our Muttley impersonation. <laughs> Stop that pigeon. <coughs> that, are, are we just going to go through all of the characters in um in Wacky Races? I think so. Because we've had Pen- Penelope Penel- Pitstop. Yes, well. you've already mentioned Penelope Pitstop. And we have Peter Perfect later. Woo! 
So Daniel goes to the bar and apologises. Daisy points out that if they want to move forward with a fresh start together, the flat isn't their only option. They've got another place they can move into. She's talking about his big bastarding house, but doesn't come out and say it. And despite her being vague, Daniel thinks that's a great idea and he suggests that they go for it. And you can see where this is going right from the off. Well, Nobody's saying exactly and specifically what they mean. Right. But in fairness to Daisy, what Daniel thinks she's saying is ridiculous. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely ridiculous. On Wednesday, Daniel's getting Bertie ready for school. Bertie calls him Auntie Beth. That, that doesn't happen. <laughs> no. Then Daniel goes off for a shite before he and Bertie head off to Sinead's grave. And while he's gone, Bertie calls Daisy mummy. <gasps> Oofed, says Daisy. Damn right, says Bertie. <laughs> Later, Daniel takes Bertie to the community garden where he and Sinead weren't married in a ceremony officiated by Kirk Dress as a Vampire. Beth comes along to pick Bertie up and they briefly reminisce about Sinead and how they both will never forget her. Meanwhile, Daisy's at the Rovers fretting about the development to Jenny, who doesn't think it's that big a deal. Daniel comes in and puts an end to that conversation and he starts talking about how he feels and the Sinead videos that he watched with Bertie, all 180 hours of them, and how it's important that he remembers who his mum was. So Daisy chooses to keep stum about this and doesn't get a word right. in. Jenny mentions that Daisy once upon a time called her mummy. Yeah. Yes. Which happens two scenes from now. Oh, I thought that has happened in that scene. No. Back at the flat, Beth has dropped Bertie back. Hiya, mummy, says Bertie. Daniel and Beth are shocked and then Beth is angry, accusing Daisy and Daniel of trying to erase Sinead from Bertie's life. And Daniel is furious. Hey, I went to a grave today, he snaps, and he throws Beth out. And, and I keep showing him these videos. <laughs> And her picture is everywhere. Daisy is confused about how she feels about all of this. Reckons it's a bad idea now for them to move in together, and tells him he needs some, sp- and tells him that she needs some space, and she leaves. Bertie isn't in the same room while all of this is ironed out, which I thought was kind of. Oh, Bertie's there. Bertie's there and listening to all this. He's not paying attention. He's playing with his duplos. Yes. But maybe he's listening on a subconscious level to this. Mm. Back at the Rovers, Jenny remembers when Daisy called her mummy. And she thinks it's terrifying, but says that Daisy and Daniel are love's young dream. And Daisy is usually up for a challenge like this. Yeah, everybody is just, everybody on the show seemingly has just realised how cute Daniel and Daisy are together. Because <laughs> everybody keeps commenting about it. Just random people are like, oh, they're so cute together. Yeah. Sure. The wee kebab man that walks across the street every six months or so he's remarked upon it fish guy fish guy mentioned it he came back after a year and a month to say do you know what those kids are going to work out just fine wayne came back just to say that (laughs) and then left again this seems to be i can't remember anymore than that (laughs) this seems to be enough for daisy she goes back to see daniel and gets an apology from beth and she tells him that she's committed to this little family thing and she can't wait to get a place together with him and bertie But again, they're very careful not to talk about exactly what they're talking about. On Friday, Daisy's all packed and ready to move out the rovers. Jenny will get a chihuahua to replace her as she reenacts Bonnie Tyler videos when she's on her own, pining for Cinco Leo. Now, did you spot that in a few, or at least one, bar scene later, in the background, Total Eclipse of the Heart was playing on the jukebox? I did not notice that. (laughs) That was brilliant. (laughs) She's reenacting Bonnie. 
funny Tyler videos and screaming into mirrors and stuff. Nice. Hilarious. In the bar, Glenda's complaining to Daisy about her creepy rental that she's in that's riddled with cockroaches and how our landlord and is a snakes. prick. And, and snakes. The first place supposedly had a snake. And, and I'm just sitting here watching this scene thinking to myself, the Undertaker has a whole huge empty house. Why is Glenda not in that huge empty house? What is going on here? Did they forget the Undertaker has a huge empty house? Well, think why does the Undertaker have a huge empty house? Because he's bunking Eileen. Yeah, but we only know that that house exists because of, what, a year ago when they were doing the whole on-again, off-again thing. Right. And he was going back to his big house because he snored. Right. And that was, I think, a kind of throwaway little comedy attribute of The Undertaker that they have now forgotten about. Right, yeah, because apparently he doesn't snore anymore. He's got a, does he have a machine? I thought he he got a machine. He got the the thing. CPAP thing. Yeah, he got the CPAP, so it's fine now. But none of this negates the fact this this huge empty house sitting somewhere. The show has given him a big empty house, correct. Right, and you would think that his sister would be able to move into that big empty house, because I'm assuming that's the family house. Because remember, his dad lived in the neighborhood and had the... The it looks big. It's far too big for one person on his right. own. Right. Yes. So, why does the show keep forgetting things like this mm. that you know are so easily pointed out by the likes of me? <laughs> Daisy tells her about a room now being available to Glenda. That is. Separately, we learn that Daniel has given his twenty-four hours notice to Carla, and he's moving out the flat today. I'm glad to now get confirmation that it's Carla <laughs> that owns that flat. Yes. A passing Tracy hopes that Daniel won't be treating number one like a creche just because he's moving into the pub. And there it is, the mandatory crossing of wires. Yeah, yeah. Daisy quite rightly thinks that they're all moving into his big, big bastarding house. house. Yeah. And she, he thinks, they're for some in. reason, that they're moving into the pub. Yeah, yeah. You, What is he thinking? He's, him and Daisy and Bertie are all going to fit in one room in the pub. They're all going to sleep in the same room and then w- go downstairs and have breakfast with Jenny every day. And Ronnie. And Ronnie? No, Although he's Ronnie at, stays at Debbie's, Debbie's more most often. Of the time, time. But it's still paying for a room there, apparently. Yes, yes. It's, it's good to have options. <laughs> right. At the flat, Paul is staying uh, on in the flat and already has an occupier to replace Daniel. It's Dee Dee. Yay! That makes sense, though. It makes absolute sense. And it's it's so adorable. And putting Dee Dee and Paul together, that's as inspired as putting Glenda and Mary together. Right. I cannot wait for the hijinks these two get in with one another. And I'm just sorry that Paul gave away his unicorn onesie last week. Because <laughs> if ever there was a time for him to break out the unicorn onesie... It's Dance Parties with Didi. Oh, dance Parties with Didi. There's a show. Yes. Give us that. <laughs> On a ship with murder. <laughs> Didi gives him one month's rent up front, but Daniel's piss is boiling that he's been replaced so quickly. With someone much Better. more fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile at the Rovers, Glenda announces to Jenny that she's taken Daisy's old room, which seems like news to Jenny. And although Jenny doesn't really like Glenda that much, she smiles and goes along with it out of politeness. All packed and ready to move, 
Daisy and Daniel are carrying boxes when they bump into each other outside number one. And there's some crappy, vague conversation which Ken is privy to until it finally comes out, surprise, surprise, that Daisy thinks they're moving into Daniel's big bastard and house and Daniel thinks they're moving into the pub. So, with Glenda and Dee Dee not in situ and his house now being rented by refugees, Ken tells them that they can stay at number one. Right. Apparently, Amy and Jacob are out house-sitting, which is convenient. Right. Tracy is initially appalled until she reckons that they can hit them up to pay for the roof. Daisy and Daniel stomp off to take care of their respective snafus. But at the pub, Glenda is far too appreciative of getting out of her scummy rental, and Dee Dee and Paul are too busy dancing for some reason, so it does look like Daisy <laughs> and Daniel are fucked after all, or they accept Ken's offer. Daniel says, The old flat is too small for him and Bertie anyway, but is now going to move in with Ken? Right, And yeah. was intending and to, move to move into a to room the... in the pub? Right. What exactly was your plan here, Daniel, right. for you and your son? Supposedly very smart man, Daniel. Man of letters. Man of letters. Very, very smart. Decreed, very smart guy who cannot get a job. Also, cannot figure out that maybe Daisy wants to move into a bigger place, mm. not a smaller place. <laughs> right. And not sleep in the same room as his son. And then at number one, Daisy is shocked when Tracy goes through the per diems that Daniel pretends he didn't know anything about as they sit down to have dinner together mm. with Ken. <laughs> now, if there's one character who I never saw cohabiting with Ken, I think it would be Daisy. Daisy's not putting up with this shit for... Tracy and Daisy under one roof. Tracy and Daisy under one roof. It's, it's got disaster written Comedy over it. gold. I think it will be quite funny. <laughs> but here I am just getting into the whole swing of the liking Daisy thing, which I don't think I'm alone in. I think there's lots of people out there that are coming round to Daisy now that they've mm. softened the character a bit and made her less of a complete bitch. Yeah. I liked her from the very beginning. Sure. Um, so I'm on board I'm on the daisy train now I'm just hoping <laughs> that, like that I'm just hoping that this uh, this thrusting together of her and Tracy and, Ken, like and Ken under the same roof isn't going to well if it does push her back into bitch territory I think she's got good reason right yeah and I think she's still a bit bitchy she's just I think people are just realising that you can be bitchy and also not bitchy at the same time. Yeah, but she wasn't that, though. She was 100% a cow, and that was my problem, that there was no... She didn't really have any redeeming qualities beforehand. I think I she thought does we now. just didn't get to... We just hadn't gotten a chance to know her until now. Because, you know, we were only seeing the bitchy sides. But anyway. Yeah. I just... <laughs> Daniel is supposed to be one of the smartest characters on the street, and yet, without fail, he's constantly doing dumb things. Yeah. He doesn't... He's got... That's the old book smarts versus street smarts sort of thing. And these aren't really street smarts. No. But, but you know, it's like not realising the impact that his idea is going to have on somebody else. When you when you sit down and think about it for a second, it's obviously such a terrible idea. Right. But he doesn't sit down and think about it for a second because no. he's had that idea, therefore it must be perfect. Right. I guess. Yeah. And I mean, I can understand him not 
knowing and not being comfortable with talking to Daisy about Sinead. That's fine. But he's supposed to be logical. And moving into the pub with a baby, Mm. not logical at all, does not make any sense. And you'd think that, you know, if that's what he thought she meant, that he would clarify saying something like, well, that doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Doesn't Tracy try and help him out with that by saying, you know, if you expect to be dropping off Bertie just because it's too noisy in the pub. Right. Too noisy in the pub. When do you think it's going to be too noisy in the pub? Maybe every night? Right. Mm. But hmm. no, that, that that logical step has not been followed. Right. Ugh. And the other thing that kind of boiled my piss a little bit was uh, Tracy saying, don't think you're going to be dropping Bertie off on us all the time. He does that. <laughs> he currently does that. Right, yeah. When he was saying that... Uh, when he was making these plans for for Sinead's death anniversary, it was go to Sinead's grave with Bertie, spend the day with Daisy, and palm Bertie off on Beth. Yeah. Not that... Which is fine, because I think that's what Beth wants. But still, it's, yeah. It's not a great look. No. no. That you don't want to spend all day with your son? And her son? Yeah. That kid has grown up honestly thinking that Beth's her dad. <laughs> or his dad, rather. Did, or did you see this maybe somehow working against all odds, her and Daniel being at number one? Because I don't think they can go to his house ever because it's not in Weatherfield. I don't know. How long are the refugees going to be there? And why all of a sudden are all of these refugees showing up when, when the war in Iran... You know, and the unrest in Iran has been going on. Iraq. They're Iraqi. Well, that makes even less sense. Well, one of them's Iraqi. The Darian is Iraqi. I thought he was Iranian. No, he's Iraqi. There's all this huge unrest in Iran. There's a war going on in Ukraine and, and the refugees are from Iraq. Or one of them is. Have have we gone back in time 10 years? But most of them are just coming under the umbrella of refugees, which is right. going to be important for another storyline right. that we'll get just to. Just like South America and Africa. Well, not exactly for the same reasons. but Well, kind of for the I same th- reasons. I think they don't want to be specific so that they don't have people like you jumping over them and saying, well, how come they're coming from fucking bulgaria and there's nothing going on in bulgaria they're coming from except for one director rebuilding detroit in the in the farms of bulgaria right never mind that's for another podcast a couple of directors do that apparently it's a thing yeah but they're the, not detroit all re- looks like eastern europe who's who'd have thunk it they're not all rebuilding detroit they're they're sometimes rebuilding things that actually do look like bulgaria <laughs> um no i mean i it feels like if we're going to do a very important storyline about refugees, then we need to get specific. Oh, no, I, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about whether this is all going to work with, with Tracy and no, but we, Daisy. Yeah, but we were, but you also just kind of threw me under the bus about them not being specific about where the refugees are coming from and just making these blanket refugee statements, especially since I know a lot of Ukrainian refugees are, are going to 
the UK right now because quite a few of our friends are taking Ukrainian refugees in. Mm. I, you know, it just, it feels like if you're going to do a storyline, if you're going to do the refugee storyline thing, and it seems like the ref- refugees are, are filtering into every single storyline on the street at the moment, that you want to be as specific as possible so we can s- talk specifically about why people become refugees and what's going on in these countries that makes them feel compelled to leave, you know, sort of thing. It, it feels like it should be as specific as possible. Because I think when we think of refugees generically, I think that's where the problems lie, where people just think, oh, these people are just coming over here because it's inconvenient for them. You think of dirty children and potato sacks on a boat. Right. Yeah. That that come from anywhere. Right. Yeah. So that's that's my that's my beef with the whole refugee thing. I don't know. I, I it's kind of annoying how they just pack these these few houses on the street with so many people. I think it's become like a knowingly comedy aspect right. of it now, isn't it? It's how it's many like people can we... Every flat is a ca- clown car at like, this point. Like, and, you know, it does, it, it does work to have people not live on the street, but work on the street and have family on the street that they visit on a daily basis. Look at Audrey on Grasmere Drive. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't live on the street and yet we see her all the time because her family is there and her business is there (coughs) and her evil son is there. Well, we will see. We'll see. Just a few scenes now from Bernie at the double. On Monday, Bernie has enlisted the Allahans to help find a label that's been thrown out in the recycling or something that has Fern's address on it. The the receipt from, from that shopping. Addy and Asha refuse, and Dev's assistance is to physically tip Bernie up arse over tit into the blue bin, which is enough to make Stephen appear out of nowhere and rubbing the top of his legs. They refuse the refuse. They do. Yeah, that wasn't a mistake. Mm. Yeah, so you had the sight of uh, Bernie's legs kind of checking about as she's yeah, that was funny. first into the bin. I liked that. The search, and though, I liked the whole, you know conversation about recycling that was quite funny the search has given them a partial address 493 c church lane but there isn't any of them locally dave insists that fern will slip up sooner or later Addy though isn't believing any of this doppelganger nonsense and neither is asha but dave is 100 percent behind bernie and then bernie is given, like given chill blains from the atmosphere between them and her family thinks she's a criminal too dave tells her that she's welcome to stay with him as long as she needs gulp says Addy and Asher together, diplomatically and lightheartedly. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. I like this. I like I, I, like, I do like, I like I Bernie. Wanted, I wanted more of this this week. Yeah. I like Ber- I like the idea of Bernie moving in with the Allahans. I think that's a that's a good call for everyone involved. And I like that Dev is still sticking by her. I'm 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 glad to see this growth in Dev. Yeah. Because this is definitely growth. And I'm glad that Addy and Asha aren't really in a mood or of a want to believe Bernie because remember the last time that they had some uh, contact with each other Bernie was chewing them both out for mm-hmm. giving Dave a hard time so maybe she's not their favourite person at the moment right yeah although she was absolutely correct oh, was in right, chewing yeah. them out yeah. yes well we will see where that one goes I'm enjoying it as well and I'm enjoying the, the, the little switcheroo that we've got here of Bernie actually being 
hard done by this time and not being behind some right some, nefarious, cr- some crazy scheme nefarious scheme to sell her daughter's pee right yeah that was a, a low light that's that's there with uh brian vomiting onto the school governors that's the same level for me Moving kinda, on. there are times i kind of wish we had those storylines back though <laughs> Like when we get another teen pregnancy story. Yeah. All right, moving on to Canadian Psycho. On Monday, Stevens and Nina Rolls and overhears Ed and Paul talking about Leo. So Stephen starts asking questions about the other folk Leo was working with, but backs off when Paul becomes suspicious of yeah, this why line are, of questioning. Why, why are you, first of all, why are you eavesdropping on our conversation? Uh-huh. And second of all, why are you so... Why are you inserting yourself into our conversation about somebody... This is a theme for Stephen on Monday. Yeah. That nobody opens a door or walks into a room that Stephen's not in. Right. Nobody on Coronation Street walks into a room that Stephen's not in. It's kind of ridiculous. And he's so suspiciously there, still wearing that jacket, still wearing that shirt. He's very skulky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and, and, and yet no one really twigs him. Talking of suspicious, Stephen, right. (laughs) Sam's got his number. (laughs) Talking of suspicious, Stephen is at the rover's door when it opens. He claims to be worried about Jenny after the scene Teddy caused the other day and how they should stop trying to pressure sinkhole Leo. Daisy isn't sure what any of this has to do with Stephen. And then comes Teddy, who has overheard some of this and threatens to kick the absolute fuck out of the old fella, but it's saved when Jenny throws him out instead. And later, Stephen is sitting in the rover's actually staring at Leo's phone in the rovers. Right, yeah. And the passcode screen because that's not risky in the slightest. No. He strikes up a conversation with Daisy suggesting that Cinco Leo might get in touch on a birthday or an anniversary or something like that. Daisy says that according to Jenny, there was no date more important to Cinco Leo than his mum's birthday. And her 50th had just passed last Monday. Perfect information for Daisy to have and not at all suspicious or convenient that she passes passes it on to Stephen who turns and keys in Leo's mum's birthday into his phone and bingo, it unlocks. Oh, that's why he did that. Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, this is a bummer for him because it's already passed so he can't pretend to be Leo and contact them on that date. Yep. He pops her birthday Ugh. into the phone and that's the code. I, and see, here I was thinking that Daisy was lying to him. No. And, and she wasn't. No, she's basically telling him what the passcode is for Leo's phone. Right, yeah. And. I hate it when this happens. I understand <laughs> when a lot of characters just guilelessly just give information to other people without questioning why that person is asking for that information. But I would never expect it of Daisy, of all people, to be like, oh, yeah, I'll just give you this information and not question you why you want this information. Especially since later on, she does question him why he cares so much about Mm -hmm. things and why is he here all the time and why is he getting coffee here when there's a perfectly good coffee shop right across the street? It's It's the exposition coming from a bartender that I think is just makes it even more cliche. Yes. Anyway, later Teddy comes back to apologise not to you, Stephen. No. And he and Jenny decide to not stop until they find Leo and they arrange to meet at the bistro later to discuss an action plan. And Jenny gets a bit tarted up for the meeting, but as she and Teddy are about to head in, 
Stephen is hanging about like a bad smell around the corner and takes photos on Leo's phone of the two of them looking all cosy like. Mm. So as Teddy and Jenny are waiting on their food and talking about plans to find Leo, Teddy gets a text from, in inverted commas, Leo, claiming to have received the photo of Teddy and Jenny out on a date and telling them that they're fucking welcome to each other. Because this chain of events is absolutely going to happen. What he's seen is that one of his pals was passing the bistro, saw Teddy and Jenny, knew who they were, took a photograph of them, and then, and then sent, sent them it to Leo. And, yeah. and, and and within those five minutes, Leo also texts his dad yeah. the picture. So yeah, the, none the of ping, this, no. The ping from the text has barely stopped resonating when Stephen shows up keen to know the latest developments. Teddy wonders when the last time he opened his eyes and didn't see Stephen, but Jenny explains about the last burnt bridge. Teddy tells Stephen to either tell him how to get a cheap flight to Canada or fuck off. So Stephen makes his excuses and sends another text to Teddy saying, oh, and by the way, don't go getting any cheap flight to Canada because I'm off hiking in the Yukon for two weeks and I'll be off grid. And there's nothing suspicious about Stephen who always seemed like a bloody nice chap. All in a text. Yeah. So, so stupid. So Teddy bumps into Stephen for the ninth time today and they talk about the Yukon hike. Stephen advises the best idea is to just stay clear of Weatherfield for now. Don't give Leo's mates any more photo opportunities and let Leo come round. Teddy has been worn down by Stephen's interfering and agrees. So then Stephen hightails it back to the Rovers for the third time today and tells Jenny about Teddy's decision just to let Leo go and get some space. And Jenny decides that that might be for the best after all. You're fucking beauty, says Stephen, punching the air, and he orders a whiskey to celebrate. Everyone just leaving sinkhole Leo alone. But then Stephen overhears Ed and Daisy talking about how the police can track phones down these days. So he heads off to the gunnel, smashes the phone and SIM card, <laughs> and drops them into his favourite thing. A bin. A bin. Yeah, the the favourite place to dump things in Coronation Street. He's in the gunnel on his honkers. Like 2001 A Space Odyssey, right, where he's rocked, smashing this Stephen, phone. Stephen, make fire. Make fire. Fire good. Quest for fire. His day comes to a disappointing end, though, when he runs into Gabrielle demanding her money again. He says he's heard from the broker and the details need to be confirmed with Audrey, so there's some paperwork before he can get this equity release thing, and it's going to take some time. And then there's the further complication that Stephen has completed a lot of the paperwork by forging Audrey's signature. So if they get in touch with her, she's not going to have the faintest idea of what they're talking about. Right. Gabriel doesn't care. Just get it fixed and get it fixed fast. On Wednesday, it's half term again or something and Sam is sulking because he has to spend time with Nick. Audrey gets a text from Gail and is utterly pissed off now that Gail has learned emojis. That was quite funny. She hands her phone to Stephen to look after for absolutely no good reason other than the plot. Right. Then at Stephen's suggestion... Audrey agrees to look after Sam today. So Audrey takes Sam to the community garden because these two are friends now and that's quite lovely. Yeah. And asks what his most favourite thing in the world would be to do. She'd love an adventure with him. He'd like to go and see the Northern Lights and she agrees that the Blackpool illuminations are wonderful. <laughs> Meanwhile, Stephen meets Gabrielle, <coughs> excited to tell her that Audrey has given him her phone and he needs Gabrielle to brush up on her acting which, coming from him, is quite the insult. Mm. He wants her to pretend to be Audrey, and if she wants her money, she'll quit her complaining about it. So in Stephen's car, 
Audrey's phone gets a call from the equity release people. So Gabrielle puts on an old English woman accent and announces herself as Mrs. Audrey Roberts. Yeah. Hello. Now, yes, this is Mrs. Audrey Roberts. Now. I think that was actually pretty close to it. We work in finance. We. I do CBTs about this every year. Right, right yeah. Every year. Every year. We, we are required by law. And I also happen to know that these laws also exist in the United Kingdom because that's part of our CBTs too about British finance law about things like elder abuse and stuff and, and fraud in, in, in finance. So we know, we know about the red flags involved in elder abuse and this sort of thing. Which sadly happens all the time. All the time. All the time. This would never happen because it's just red flags galore. And yeah, even before it's got to this stage. No, not yeah. this stage particularly, but like with the forging of the signature, you have to go back and you know and pull the original application and cross-check the signatures to make sure that they match and not you know somebody's evil son but if that happens this story ends what i'm saying is maybe this story shouldn't have started in the first place right but it must go well because later in the pub Stephen has transferred the money to gabrielle and there's even a few grand left over for him to buy blue bins and masturbate over (laughs) after that he's heading to splitsville he'll be long gone by the time audrey passes away and the family tried to sell the house that they then discover has been sold already Stephen heads to number eight and floats the idea of heading back to Italy soon. Audrey, he says, is doing well enough that she doesn't need him anymore. And if he goes, she'll learn to be independent again. He thinks that she's ready and Gail's not sure, but whatever. So Audrey has arranged this week's half-term lunch at the bistro for the family when Sam announces to the table that he and Audrey are off on a Norwegian cruise to see the Northern Lights. The family worry about the cost, so she explains she's going to sign up to one of those equity release scams on her house at Grasmere Drive, and then the world will be her oyster. And Stephen, audibly, shits his knickers. Right. This is a terrible idea, says. I'll nick her house and she'll lose her nest egg. Her house is a valuable asset and should be guarded with her life. And David worries that this shows favouritism to Sam just because his mum got murdered a year ago. And Audrey comes round to Stephen's way of thinking and apologises to Sam. There'll be no Northern Lights cruise. Thanks, Uncle Stephen, you utter prick, he says. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I'm listening to this whole thing and, and David... You know, and Lily is there. Max is she's, not. She's brilliant in that scene. Lily she is. is hilarious. Her whole, she doesn't say a word, but <laughs> her face says everything. Audrey accuses her of kind of knowing the, the cost of everything and the value of nothing sort of thing and just being kind of rather un, un, nasty un, ungrateful, about right? poor Lily. <laughs> and I, Lily's jaw Max, absolutely drops. Max, is fi- it's fine to diss Max, but you know, and, and you know, for a split second, I was like, well, you know, to be fair, Sam's mum's been murdered. But then I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Lily and Max's mum's been murdered, too. Right. Yes. So every mum <laughs> and Shona almost died, too. Right. People should. And, and Leanne's life was put at risk. Nobody should ever, ever, ever get in a relationship with the Platt boys. 
I mean, I know Nick is not a plat, but you know, that family. Yeah. Because it means you're going to die or somebody's going to try to kill you. Gail's vagina is cursed. <laughs> I think that's what we're saying. Well, no, because. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. No, yeah. no, 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 no. You're right. I was going to say, it, you know, nobody tries to kill Sarah's people, uh, uh, significant others, but that's not true because Adam got thrown from a balcony and, I'm and all, didn't remember die. That? And landed on his head. Right. And landed on his head and didn't die. Whereas Leo. <sighs> but anyway. Anyway. Yes, Gail's vagina is cursed. I think you, that's you that's, that's our takeaway from this. You heard it here first. Gail's vagina. Whoop. Now we can we stop say, saying it. Should we say Gail's vagina is cursed, or should we say Audrey's vagina is cursed? I think the curse is hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cursed vaginas all the way down. And can we just? Take a moment as we appreciate Spooky as Curse we, Vaginas. As we appreciate Lily's dropped open jaw. <laughs> Let's also appreciate Sam and his as he's explaining to David, oh well, Uncle Stephen doesn't think this is a great idea. <laughs> Was just beautifully done as well. Yes. Those kids are doing are, are those those kids' backs must be sore from from carrying that scene well they just add so much uh nuance to it that it, it makes it so much better they carried the scene audrey has scunnered outside with a lot of them and disappointed that Stephen is part of the fun police and as the two of them chat about it Stephen gets a bit too clever so audrey says fuck it and fuck y'all sam's going to norway after all desperate Stephen meets with gabrielle again and explains audrey's plans he begs for her help enjoy prison says gabrielle and keep my name out of this mm-hmm so Stephen thinks fast, goes back home as Audrey and Sam are planning their cruise. Stephen announces that he'll pay for it. He'd much rather that and then she can keep her equity. And Audrey is touched and thanks him for his generosity. He's always been her favourite. Later, conversation has moved on and while Audrey is off for a shite, Shona, who has learned that Stephen has plans to leave, says that she'd end up murdering Audrey if she lived with her. Gulp, says Stephen, lightheartedly. So on Friday, Audrey, Gail and Sam are in Nina's roles. Sam explaining the difference between ice and snow to Shona. Then when <laughs> Stephen arrives, there's a massive sequence of people getting things wrong. Audrey announces to Stephen that they've had a thought to keep costs down that they're going to stay at one of his properties in Canada. And then we'll continue to Yellowstone, says Audrey. Yellowknife, says Sam. Yellowstone is where Yogi lives, says Gail. No. S- surf and turf, says Shona, <laughs> for no discernible fucking reason whatsoever. <laughs> Great. <coughs> Great, says Stephen. And and then Audrey talks about a moose Back that you home. can feed in a, in a restaurant. And Stephen's like, oh, that moose is dead. And and Sam says, no, I was just looking up the website for the that restaurant. That moose is dead. <laughs> that moose is dead. It reminded me, though, of the uh, the restaurant that we went to in the Bahamas where where you could feed the sharks. Back home, Stephen is trying to talk Sam and Audrey back into Norway, but Gail isn't having Gail isn't having it and privately asks Stephen why he's so determined to block the Canada idea. What's going on here? He blames a recent spate of elder murders in Yellowknife or something, and this is enough to get Gail on board and she agrees to back him up. He blames the cold in Canada. Yeah. Like, what happens if their car dies in the middle of the Yukon? And I'm thinking, Leo will be there. They'll be fine. Right. <laughs> Just for reference, Canada means death. 
There's another takeaway. So, just for reference, I would love to go to Yellowknife. Yes, we should absolutely do that. It's a 40-hour drive from here. And feed a moose. We can get there in two days if we drive. We can get there in even less than that if we fly. If we fly, yeah. It's a... It's a 2,500 mile. We've got three more states to do and then we can start hitting up Canada. Right. Unless we do the territories as well. You know, Puerto Rico, Guam, oh, no, Virgin no. Islands. Stephen is moaning again to Gabrielle. They might as well be married at this rate. She doesn't know why he cares and suggests that losing Audrey's passport and forcing them not to go uh, might be the way to do this. I thought you were supposed to be clever, she says to him. Stephen goes to see Burn. Audrey at the salon to pick up her passport. Uh, so she can book her trip. Audrey is super excited, not just for her, but for the lifelong memories this is going to make for Sam. It just warms her heart, and this gives Stephen pause. So later in the pub, Stephen is met with Gabriel again and confesses that he didn't have the heart to steal Audrey's passport. She doesn't care, but will keen to learn how this all works out. So she leaves in a taxi, reminding Stephen that she doesn't care and that she's been paid off, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so she she really doesn't care. She's gotten her money. She's fine. Yep. Stephen explains to Max that all he wants now <laughs> is a quiet life. And that's as far as we get with that. This right, week. yeah, because Max is like, can you be friends with an ex? And Uncle Stephen says no. Not my exes. No. Stephen is going to have to kill Audrey. And maybe some other people as well. Yeah. I don't really see how he gets away with any of this now but if with he- Audrey alive. Yeah, but if he kills Audrey, the truth will out faster. He has to kill Audrey and then be on a plane half an hour later. Right. Which he's not very good at. Although he says that he's got a, a few thousand out of this. But, yeah, but now he's got to use it use to, to pay, pay for, for Norway. And he says to his ex-wife that he doesn't even have that much. You know, then it's going to cost more than what he has. And she's like, so why did you do it then? It's like, so that they, she won't use her equity, which she no longer has. He wants to be gone when they find this out. Mm-hmm. And he would rather that she's dead when they find this out. Mm. That's his plan. He knows that once she dies, he can't possibly get away with this anymore because they're going to have to try and mm-hmm. sell the house and right. that's not going to be possible anymore. Right. So... He knows this is going to come out mm-hmm. and he's not going to be there when that happens. Mm. At this rate, he might not be alive when this happens, but he knows that it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. What's the difference really between coming out when Audrey's alive and when Audrey's dead? Mm. That Does it mean that much to him that Audrey doesn't think that he's a complete charlatan? Does that mean anything to him? I don't think it means anything to him. I don't think it does because otherwise... Because he complains about it. And the heart that he's shown here for the conversation about them all going to Norway Mm -hmm. and and Sam making memories, Sam who he barely knows, is enough to stop him. But none of this was enough to stop him forging her signature or hatching this plan anyway. Well, remember, there was that other time where he was stopped by something that Audrey said... Remember when he was going to do the whole power of attorney thing yeah. and get her to sign? And then he's just like, never mind, you can do this later. But but then he forges her signatures. And I, I kinda, I'm still actually quite enjoying this. But 
the be- so the, uh, many of the things that he has signed for her are things that should have been witnessed by someone at the bank, her signing it. But the the bit that uh, I don't really like that much is the 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 two strands of the Stephen storyline that he somehow manages to compartmentalize them both and keep them separate from each other. He's either worried about getting done for killing Leo. Or he's worried about getting done for stealing money from Audrey. But he's never worried about both things at once. He's, he's able to, okay, I'm going to deal with this today. Mm-hmm. And now that I've dealt with that today, I can spend the rest of the week dealing with this. Right. And it, At some point, it's all going to come crashing in. For killing Leo, he should be getting the hell out of Dodge as quickly as possible. Right, absolutely. But that's... But And also for the whole Audrey thing, he should be getting out of Dodge as quickly as possible. I don't know why he's like, yeah, I know I'm going to stick it. around. Because, Go. Because, Go. Because he doesn't want this to come out while Audrey's alive. It can be the only thing that I think is keeping him there. Which doesn't make any sense. I don't think so. Because it doesn't matter. so much of the story doesn't make any sense. You know, I, and I just hope that we don't have yet another murderer getting away with things. Oh, well... Brace yourself. <sighs> Moving on, our next storyline this morning is Hello God, it's me, Eileen. <laughs> on Monday, it's Bedlam at Eileen's. Sean, Dylan, and Todd are making a mess as they play PlayStation or whatever. Then Glenda comes in with a batch of pumpkins. Oh, the Undertaker's there too. And dumps them in the kitchen. Yeah, he's not making a mess, though, don't think. Well, he's sitting there drinking tea. And, not not uh, making a mess. And waiting for his turn at the FIFA. Eileen is furious as everyone fucks off and leaves the place like a tip. And then later, Eileen's had enough and is shifting the pumpkins out of her house when she bumps into Gail, who is walking and speaking Italian into her phone, which reminded me of you. Me. And then she ends up falling uh, falling over and bashing her head on the pavement and knocking herself out. Gail calls an ambulance while <sighs> George comes along and shines his phone light into Eileen's closed eyes and wafts a vanilla slice under her nose in a bid to rouse her. And while this is going on, Gail's phone is making some kind of musical noise or something. Right. So Which these, doesn't make any sense. There's these three things happening that are going to be important. Right. It also doesn't make any sense that it's not until the Undertaker gets there that Gail says, should I call an ambulance? Yeah. But she calls an ambulance and all these things happen and then... It's Eileen's turn in the weather general this week, getting Ooh. checked out and has given the all clear. And she seems in a very positive mood about the whole experience. Well, Sean checks out his doctor, her yeah. doctor, which is weird because he's still supposedly with Lawrence. Lawrence, yeah. The Gay dentist. Lawrence, yeah. And she's in much the same mood when she gets home, telling George to apologise to Glenda for the pumpkins, promising to get replacements and suggesting that she and George go pumpkin carving later. Like that. like that. George looks at Sean and wonders just what the hell has happened to his eyelash. She is far too pleasant and reasonable. Something's not right. Mm. On Wednesday, George is still struggling at home because Eileen is just so fucking calm and cheery. And Nina rolls it comes out that she's so at peace because she thinks that she had an out-of-body experience when she slipped over Glenda's pumpkins, but not like that. Yes. She saw a bright light and smelled a beautiful sweet smell and heard this ethereal music. She reckons that she was looking into heaven itself. 
gulp, says George, unsuspiciously. <coughs> and back home, he explains to Sean that the bright lights were the torch in his phone. The sweet smell was a vanilla slice. That's funny. Just the words vanilla slice just mm. makes me smile. And the ethereal music was Gail's ringtone. He can't possibly tell Eileen this. And Sean is cautious about keeping her in the dark. Meh, says George with a shrug. And later, Eileen is donating to charity when Glenda arrives and Eileen presents her with a new pumpkin. And then she's off to help out at the food bank. Eileen has become Jesus. Right, she's going to make soup for the soup kitchen. Yeah. With, with wonky veggies. <laughs> yeah, she's buying wonky vegetables. Superb. On Friday, Todd is not enjoying having Eileen in nice mode. She's taken to buying wonky veg and likes Mary's blouse and doesn't complain when Todd's morning shit stinks the house out. Something's not right, but George keeps stum about it. George is having lunch with Mary later in the Rovers and he has to explain to her about Eileen's supposed tapping into the spiritual level after her trip, which gets Mary very excited who wants to write to her an explained magazine about this. And this forces George to explain what really happened. Yes, and we learn that the basement of the Rovers is haunted yeah. by... by Gail's vagina. <laughs> by a very snobby old woman who has high high standards in wine. And Nina rolls. I'm trying to think of who could po- who could that could possibly be who is deceased who used to own the rovers. No, that's something to hmm. look into. And Nina rolls. Island has been reasonable with a substandard egg. Pays for Todd and George's lunch and leaves a five pound tip because she doesn't have any change. Todd thinks she needs an MRI scan and talks about getting a doctor. So George has to come clean to Todd now. Todd wants to tell Eileen immediately. She had an experience. She thinks that she had an experience that she didn't. And George points out that she did have an experience. It's just not the one that she thought she had. And when Todd doesn't immediately blab to Eileen when she's passing, George points out that this makes him complicit. Checkmate. Mm. But later in the pub, Gail bumps into Eileen and spills a bit of wine on her coat. And initially, Eileen laughs it off, says it's just a splash. (coughs) But then she sits with Todd while George does a runner. And Todd explains it all, and Eileen is fucking furious and demands to Gail that she either cleans or replaces her denim jacket and they have a slanging match in the street. And Eileen is back to normal. Boo. This was funny. It was funny. That was very funny. It was funny. And I liked that it was all week. Yeah, it was a little bit of humour that was running through, through the whole this week. week's stories. And it, who'd have thunk that our God, a bump on the head changes someone's personality storyline was going to be one of the highlights. <laughs> and I mean... Because Eileen is lovely when she's lovely. Right, Oh she my is. God, she's lovely. Yes. She's so lovely. Right. And I, there's a part of me that's like, come on, it doesn't really matter how you had this experience if it was God or a piece of vanilla slice. <laughs> vanilla slice. <laughs> You've you've had this experience. You've you've experienced this joy in being a nice person. Mm-hmm. Why let that go at the end? I mean, and I understand it's funnier that way. Yeah, and it is funny, and I do like it. But there is a part of me that's kind of. I, I hope that she still continues to help at the soup kitchen at least. She won't. She won't. But it'd be nice if some of the niceness. You know, the niceness did get kind of extreme, like when she volunteered to babysit for Daniel and Tracy tells her to wind her neck in and, and stop interrupting when she's having a right. fight with her brother. Family fight, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, this was good. And again, again, 
Todd is so much better in this storyline than he is in the summer storyline where yeah. he's sanctimonious and as a foil to George and Eileen, he's yeah, he's yeah, he's much he's better. He's so much better as a member of this family. And hilarious. As a member as opposed to a member of my three dads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, liked, I like this. Yeah, I, I don't too. actually think that Eileen is as the disagreeable person that this storyline seems to paint her as all the time. She she gets upset about things that I think she has every right to be right, upset about. Right, yes. And let's not forget, she was married to a serial killer. There we go. So she has her reasons. Another bit of fluff uh, this week was the Book of State. On Wednesday, Tyrone has been exercising us, plans for more exercise later today, including some Taekwondo. Which Fizz mentions is something that, that Joseph is doing now, which will become important. Later. Fizz thinks she should maybe take up Pilates, which is the same thing. Not at all. Fizz explains this to Sean at the factory later. Here we go again, says Sean, and reminds her that this is how the whole Alina thing started when they both went off to do yoga. Oh, pig's tits, says Fizz. And that's not true. It started when Alina moved in with them for no reason. <laughs> Later, when Tyrone gets home, <coughs> Fizz is made of questions, especially when she finds out that the Taekwondo instructor is a woman. He doesn't really want to talk about it. What, you want chapter and verse in this thing? He says, that thought was pretty funny as well. Mm. And he goes off for a shower. And when he comes back down the stairs, he catches Fizz going through his gym bag, and she comes clean that she's worried that he's going to start cheating again. Tyrone promises he's not planning an affair, and the reason he was being cagey about the Taekwondo class was because Joseph flattened him with one punch. Which is hilarious. Friday, and I wish we had seen it. Yeah, I would, have, I would have quite liked to see that. On Friday, Kev is taking the piss out of Tyrone for being flattened by Joseph the other day. And meanwhile, Hope is on half term and would prefer to be hanging out with Sam, but she's having to make do with a shopping trip with Fizz instead. How do they have enough money for Joseph to take Taekwondo when, when they apparently don't have enough money to feed these children on a weekly basis so that they all have to have like six jobs? Well, how have they forgotten about the Undertaker's house? <laughs> Let's deal with that first. <laughs> and over, Fizz announces that she's been approached by a journal who's writing an article about John Snape. She and... Snape. Snape. said Snape. 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 <laughs> Severus Snape. She and Tyrone Snape. agree Snape. to tell Harry Potter to get to fuck. Severus Snape. Dumbledore. So Fizz Snape. calls it... Snape. Severus... No. <laughs> so Fizz calls the journal and it seems that there's a book about John coming out called John Snape. And the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> Ty blames Phil, so Fizz decides to go see him, look him in the eye, and this dampens Tyrone's enthusiasm a bit. So he's still a little bit jealous about the whole Phil with two L's thing, which is fine. Fizz he comes should be, back. because Phil with two L's was delightful yeah. and a better partner for Fizz. Fizz comes and back. I will die on this hill. Phil with two L's has denied all knowledge, and she believes him. Plus, she's found out that the book will be serialised and she doesn't know how this is going to uh, affect Hope because now it means that the whole thing gets dragged out for weeks. Mm-hmm. And back home, Fizz and Tyrone sit Hope down and explain about the book and how she might get picked on. Hope, though, does not give a fuck. Because she does not. Amelia's dad is an alky. Right. And that's as far as we get with that this week. There think- was a little scene as well that didn't really fit in any of the storylines where Sam and Hope are doing their walkie-talkie chats mm-hmm. and Sam is worried that if they go on the cruise he's going to miss a letter from Harvey mm-hmm. and then there's still this little lingering Mad Dog 2020 character that seems to be lingering about. I think in, that's the journalist and oh you think so and mm. Hope's Hope's life 
I would have liked to have seen Joseph kicking the shit out of Tyrone would have been pretty funny. Yes. But then hopefully, I, hopefully maybe we'll see that later. But then it's weird that this storyline of the book about John Stape comes back after it was such a such a main point in the Fizz and Phil with Two L's breakup. Right, yeah. It, so it's like, when it was going to become a thing and we, then it wasn't a thing and now it is going to be a thing after all. Yeah, and let's not forget the other big storyline where, you know, John Stapes' other child shows up and tries to kidnap Hope. It's Are, are they going to get any storylines that don't fall back on John Stape at some point. It's like Eileen reminding everyone that she was married to a serial killer. She was, though. She was. Yes, but I think everybody knows that now. They should... She she and Fizz should set up a uh, support group for people who... <laughs> yes, they should. Who, who've been married to murderers. And then just shut the fuck up about it. Right. Yeah, just talk to one another about it. Yeah, off camera. And then Netflix will make it a show, I Married a Murderer. All right, let's move on to the final storyline of the week, which is Griff's Big Racist Night Out. (sighs) On Wednesday, Toya and Spider meet Griff and Peter and Nina's roles. Griff has tickets for a mystery gig in town tomorrow. I was never sure if he knew who the the people to the gig were. And seemingly he did know, but it sounded like he didn't. Right. Apparently, they're a great new band and the gigs are only released to select people. Shona thinks it's Wet Leg. And everyone says, wet leg, far too often. <laughs> Back at the flat. Is that better or worse than cursed vagina, though? Well, wet leg is a thing. So are cursed vaginas. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Back at the flat, Toya tells Spider that she doesn't really fancy the gig after all, and Spider agrees and just wants to spend time with her. Yet they talk about being too old to go to concerts. And I'm sitting there thinking, we just went to a concert. And we're old. Yeah. It's fine. I was wearing this t-shirt. You wore that to the Echo and the Bunny Bed concert? Yeah. Everyone told me what a lovely t-shirt it was. Oh, I'm that's like, right. The one with a big skull in it. Yeah, yeah, I got loads of compliments with this t-shirt Aww. at the Echo and the Bunnyman gig. Yes. Bunnyman. Bunnyman. We learned that Toya has taken off her wedding ring. So that's Imran totally punted now. Spider meets up with Griff in the pub later and tells him that he and Toya won't make the gig maybe next time but Griff takes this pretty badly and calls Spider all mouth and no trousers you'll come if you get an invite this is not the first time that phrase has been used on the show since we've been doing this podcast because I believe you had to explain to me what it meant yeah the first time I think Tim said it at some point probably outside the community garden Spider takes a call from his boss telling him that it's vitally important that he goes to this gig so Nina's rolls again, Spider floats the idea that he might actually want to go to the gig after all, and furthermore, he'd prefer that it was just a lad's night, so no Toya if that's okay. Knock yourself out, says Toya, calmly, and definitely not with a nose out of joint. Mm-hmm. Because all through this, Peter has been absolutely in from minute one. Absolutely. He's, he's in on this. Yes. Spider then, because he and Griff are great friends. Best pals. Spider then grabs Griff on his way out of the Rovers and tells him he'll make it to the gig after all. And they have a brief run-in with Carla, who is still pissed at Griff. So Peter has to pretend that he's not going to the gig because he's Griff's number one fan. And of course he's going. I think that's why he's not telling Carla. I couldn't think of any other reason why he wouldn't tell Carla. Right. It's dumb. It's dumb. Just tell Carla the truth. Yeah. You're supposed to be one of the more mature 
and settled couples on the street. Be honest with your wife. She's going to find out anyway because she's Carla. If Peter and Griff were to have a homosexual relationship with each other, would, would their stand name be... Peter Griffin? Peter Griffin? I think so. Check out this cyborg. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's worse than your, than your Mick Jagger. Yeah. Out comes, out comes Jimmy. Don't get about my impressions like that. <laughs> on Friday, oh. <laughs> on Friday, Spider and Peter are chit-chatting about. Oh, was the Cleveland Brown that I did a good impression of? Don't do I it. I don't feel like I can don't do, do that. Don't do that. No, you're not allowed to do Cleveland Brown. Not anymore. No. On Friday, uh, yeah, Peter Griffin is good. It, well, I mean, not good, but... <laughs> On Friday, Spider and Peter... At least you've been to Rhode Island, so you you understand that accent quite well. Spider and Peter are chit-chatting about gigs, and it transpires that Peter still hasn't told Carla that he's gone, and I'm still not entirely convinced that this is a decent reason not to tell her, and she thinks that he's working. Then we see Max storming at the house, refusing to sit at a table with David, and he refused to attend the latest plat lunch at the Bistro the other day as well, which is why Lily had to be drafted in to be appalled. Shona is appalled at this, thinking that David had every right to react the way he did when Max was going on about this Darian stealing his place. He did steal my place, shouts racist Max. He did not. And he storms off. All of this is seen by Spider and Peter. So and Peter, Griff, isn't Griff no, there? No. Because Peter, Spider and Griff are heading at the tram stop on their way at the gig, <coughs> looking at chemtrails, and David passes by and wonders if they're looking for aliens. Chemtrails. Like, more like sheeple, says Griff. And David has a go at Peter for being a loony conspiracy theorist now. So Peter retaliates at David because Max is racist now, and Griff seems oddly interested in this. Griff? Are they just, like, throwing uh, yes. everything at this character? Because it's annoying. More about this later. Chemtrails. Is chemtrails still a thing? Do people still think that? We're, well, it's it's like the whole 5K thing with the COVID vaccine sort of thing. Oh, okay. Thanks to another storyline, Eileen has been pleasant and she's outside cleaning the taxis. Carla comes along looking for Peter, but Eileen tells her that he has the day off and she hopes he's doing something to improve his work-life balance, which was very funny. <laughs> The gig seems to be in the middle of the afternoon. This is prime gig time, as we all know. Absolutely. There's a guy in the door, Dave, and he knows Peter as the Alky liver fella. And it seems the story here, man. of Peter punching the doctor is all the gossip with Griff and his buddies. Right. Dave just thought Peter would be taller. Yeah, it taking out, it to the man. And then it turns out there's an open mic slot at the end of the concert, just like the open mic slot at the end of the Echo and the Bunnymen gig that we right, went to. Right, absolutely. Every good concert has an open mic at the end of it. Right. Peter gets a text from Carla and lies, telling her that he's doing an airport run. And it's an open, it's not necessarily an open mic for music. It's also an open mic for talking about oh, shitty doctors. Spoken word. It's yeah. a spoken word open mic. Yes. Carla is stomping down the street, leaving a furious message for Peter when she conveniently walks by a conveniently placed Toya, who is there for convenience purposes to conveniently explain that Peter's real whereabouts is that gig. Carla <sighs> pretends that she already knew because she's still annoyed with Toya about the protest stuff or murdering Imran or something. Something. And we don't get to see any of the gig or the open mic. 
because next we see Peter is storming out, furious that the gig was racist. Didn't know that Ted Nugent was touring. <laughs> Spider has followed him and is apologetic. It's, it's Ted Nugent, Kid Rock and that guy from the Sex Pistols. Griff, though, thinks Peter is overreacting. The song was about shite flower. Peter goes in for his jacket. Spider apologises for Peter, saying that he's just looking to kick off because he's an old alky. But Griff tells Spider that Peter is useful to them because he's a taxi driver? No, because of tells the him to doctor sort it. story. Peter comes back and accuses Griff of approving of the message from the gig and questioning the target for the fundraiser that was going on. And Griff shrugs, so Peter threatens to go to the police. Then Big Dave gets involved and he pushes Peter, and Peter retaliates, using all his powers to push Big Dave over. Big Dave doesn't exactly leap to his feet, but threatens Peter with a Chesney brick until everyone keeps them separated. The guy that plays Dave Uh has played uh, Eddie Guerrero in a What Happened, What Really Happened to Eddie Guerrero documentary thing. Who's Eddie Guerrero? The WWE uh, Latino Heat guy. What happened to him? Oh, he had a heart attack. I think by taking uh, too many steroids and stuff. The old WWE right, death yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so many so mysterious when, deaths in the old WWE. So when Dave falls over and he's making a big deal about getting uh-huh. up, that's totally wrestler making a big deal about getting up. Right. Thing, you know, the kind of... Right, yes. You're riding on the ground for no reason other than... Like a turtle. Selling it. You're yeah. selling the fall, I guess. Right, yeah. So Griff and some assorted racists insist that Peter is focusing his anger in the wrong direction, man, and should be targeting the people who steal their places at where they hide, man. What? Peter leaves and Spider goes to go after him. Spider explained to Griff that he's making sure that the police don't get involved. You better not be double-crossing me, says Griff. I kind of didn't like how everyone at the gig looked poor and working class. Yeah, yeah, no, that's... It. So much of this angers me. <laughs> it's um so much. It's little your first dictionary of racism <coughs> look up a picture kind of thing is it's satisfying an awful lot of cliched I'm just surprised that they're not all skinheads. And no, no, instead they look like Hell's Angels. <laughs> right. Some of whom are also racist. Not all Hell's Angels, just some of them. But I... Griff has been introduced to us as an environmentalist protester. Eco-warrior. An eco-warrior, sort of, kind of along the lines of, say, Greenpeace bombing fishing boats and and stuff right you know so well-meaning and on the right side the greenpeace bomb fishing boats but towards the extreme they've 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 attacked fishing boats and trawlers and stuff yes because i think i think greenpeace are famous for the french government blowing up one of their boats aren't they the rainbow warrior was it Regardless, green. When you think of kind of the more extreme eco warriors, you kind of think Greenpeace, and and maybe, well, people don't really like PETA 
anymore because they kill more animals than they save. But regardless, you know, an extreme eco-warrior. Extreme eco-warriors throw soup at Van Gogh's and glue themselves to walls. They're not really known for their racism. (laughs) No. That's not really what they're about. They're not conspiracy theorists worried about chemtrails. When you when you when you're writing a show and you've got a character who's concerned about climate change to the point of going to extremes, and then you also make that person a conspiracy theorist who believes in chemtrails, you're really doing a disservice mm. to people fighting against climate change and desperately trying to get people to take climate change seriously. Right. Yeah. It's a, and it's really, really a bad look for the show. They're trying to paint them as, uh, as someone who is separated from society as much as possible for every possible reason right. as possible. Not yeah. just the, the one thing that, they, right. they want him to be, which is, I guess, a racist extremist. Right, but, but he's but, also but an eco-warrior. But painting him as a racist extremist, they're also trying to separate him from other aspects of, in inverted commas, normal society. So any chance they get to to paint him as being an other, right. they're taking. Right. They're throwing everything onto this character, and that's not a great look. No. At all. I don't mind that there's this this seemingly racist group who may be involved in other storylines and are interacting with with characters we know on the street because it's kind of been our complaint and a lot of other people's complaints about the racism storylines is that they always make it really safe by not including people that we know and love on the yeah, street. It's characters who don't have a name, essentially, right. who are yeah. drafted in to be racist for a couple of episodes right. and then leave. So to have this group and to have it complicated because Peter has a relationship with Griff, although, you know, it's very nice that Peter is like, racism's bad. Yeah. But we have Spider also, whose job is to infiltrate this group. Mm-hmm. And who, in the process of doing his job and infiltrating this group, is going to be painting himself to other characters on the street as possibly a horrible racist and not an eco-warrior. Right. Which is what we know Spider to be. Yeah. Which, you know, doesn't really jive with his undercover cop thing, but we've already talked about that to death. So, I don't... You're right that it seems really extreme and really underclass and really male, this group. There was there are no one, la- there was one lady. Yeah. One lady who's kind of in the background. Yeah, she's very back. Doesn't have any lines. Right. Yeah. So you are also painting a specific group of people as being of this ilk and not and, and ignoring the fact that that oftentimes group li- groups like this are underwritten by wealthy people of this ilk, you know, for their for their things that get to hide behind the less wealthy people who do bad things like break into Nancy Pelosi's house and attack her husband with a hammer. 
you know, so it's it, so so there are aspects of this that I think can be quite interesting. It's just doing it with a character like Griff, who they're throwing everything at, kind of paints the environmental activists in real life with a very broad and unseemly brush and makes it seem like climate change is just like chemtrails as being a conspiracy for the weak-minded. I kind of think that this group, as it's been portrayed, feels more like something I would expect or hope to see in a story that was set in the 80s or 90s where... You know, like I said, they're all they're all male. Well, they're mostly male, poor working class, who are having a gig in what looks like an abandoned building that is covered with graffiti in a shitty part of town. Right. I'm not complaining that we're addressing this, and if we're addressing it, I hope that we're doing it properly, and I hope we're giving it a little bit more attention than the nameless characters who come in and leave when. Right. When they've, they've taught Craig a lesson, or when uh, James has been able to be uh, to stand up for himself, or whatever, <laughs> I expect that this to be something a bit more uh, deeply set than that. And but feels- what I think is a bit more interesting than having this horrible group of horrible people in a horrible part of town is the more insidious way that a more middle-class racism manages to permeate society and the effect that that has on it, like newspaper barons and people who are able to divide a a country more than a little group of kind of looking bikers Mm -hmm. are able to do. I think there's a a bigger story there that I think think as a society we're more at that point now than we are at the... The group that are running about with the National Front tattoos and right. and uh, and all that sort of thing from from the past, but I think it's an interesting uh, story to to tackle. I agree about the whole eco warrior thing because those things don't really jive at all. all that well at all. You're talking about opposite extremes, yeah, extremes, I guess, nonetheless, but from opposite ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. really that kind of confuses it but maybe one is being used to mask the other and that that might that might come out yeah right but even if it even if that is the case even if it does the show has planted the seed that you know that that climate change isn't real whether they wanted to or not i mean i do remember was it last year that they briefly talked about something that like all of the all of the soaps got together where they were going to talk about climate change in the same week. And in Coronation Street, it was five minutes looking at a newspaper. Uh, I don't know. With a a story from Hollyoaks or something. But yeah, it's just... (sighs) Spider and Peter are at the tram station. Peter talking about doing a few hours on the taxis to dilute his lie. Then Toya comes along, surprised to see them back so soon. And when Spider tries to play it down, Peter wastes no time explaining how the gig was racism aid. As he leaves, Toya warns him that Carla knows where he was. And when Peter's gone, Spider explains that Peter actually got it wrong. It was more a case of some of Griff's mates were a bit dodgy and the sound system was shite. He didn't hear anything that was racist. 
Then Peter, who doesn't work at the factory, drops in at the factory and comes clean, saying that he knew Carla wouldn't approve. Then he tells her that what the gig was really like and how Griff is bad news. I seem to remember telling you this weeks ago, says Carla on behalf of the audience. And Peter agrees to back off the activism thing. Then Peter and Carla drop into the bistro and they run into Toya there. And during conversation where Toya and Carla are bitchy to each other, Peter reveals that the gig really was totally racist and there was nothing wrong with the sound system, contrary to Spider's description. Mm -hmm. Peter offers to send her the band's uh, CD or... (coughs) (coughs) A link to their music. Or a link to their music, however, so she can check them out for herself. Right, because there's this whole huge conversation about CDs and, and digital music just to make all of us Gen Xers feel old. Yep. And she must do that because then Toya confronts Spider with this information and she has uh, some earbuds Mm -hmm. in her hand, so I guess she's been listening to it, Mm -hmm. and asks why he's covering for Griff, and he says that he isn't, and so she believes him. Mm. So Spider goes off to meet his boss, who refuses to let him out, and does the opposite. He needs to get deeper into this organisation. Something big is about to go down, and lives could be in danger. This will all be over in a few weeks, he says. Then back at Racism HQ, Spider finds that he is unwelcome with the group, but he explains that he successfully kept Peter from going to the police and has managed to keep Toya sweet after all. Griff tells him again that if Spider crosses him, he'll wish he'd stayed with, <coughs> he'll wish he stayed with the Wokemeister. And that's how we end this week's episodes. You're supposed to be the Wokemeister, Mr. Eco-Warrior. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Yeah. This is so... Ugh. Yeah, I... You know, and and you're right. You're right. You know, it's they're sinister. You know, it's not the Proud Boys who are the most sinister when it when it comes to you know racism and stuff over here. It's the people who say, "Well, I don't agree with those guys, but I'm still going to vote for this guy because I associate with this party." You know, the the people who are just very just lazily rolling over, right? You know, and just turning a blind eye mm-hmm. to these things and just doing things because they've always done it this way right. sort of thing. And I think it would be a bit more of an interesting story if we got some of those point of views, perhaps from people who live on the street who don't sit in Roy's, in Nina's roles and explain the differences <laughs> between right. refugees and, and immigrants to, to Kirk. Yeah, and I'm you know, as I'm saying all that, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe baby steps. Maybe we need to to do this right for once, or do it better. I, I don't I don't know if it if it is. Um, it seems like it's a longer burning storyline than than has been dealt with previously. Yes, but uh, every time we have, we're really hopeful and say, oh, this is, seems like a really good storyline. I hope they do it well and they take their time. They either take their time and don't do it well or do it well and it's over in a second. Right. And I, I just, and it's 2022. I, I think, I think the time for baby steps is like 10 years ago. Yeah. Which is kind of what was said. Yeah. And I'm agreeing with you. Oh, well, I feel like we've kind of talked about this one. <laughs> enough. <coughs> Yes. So I'm going to quickly jump and say that was the week that was Coronation Street. Okay. And ask you what your moment of the week was. Well, if I'm honest, and I know you won't agree with me, my moment of the week was Paul and Didi's dance party. Oh, no. <laughs> just like, uh, just like last week, 
or the week before, my moment of the week was Paul versus the vending machine. <laughs> so, you know, I know you're not ag- going to agree with me with that, but uh, but personally, I have to say that was my moment of the week. Okay, for so on behalf of the show, then, what was your moment of the week? I think it's just dialing stuff. I just love dialing. Dialing being pleasant, I think, was my moment of the week. Yes, but which particular part of that? Well, do you know, maybe maybe the moment of the week was a little bit that gave us uh, a bit from Coronation Street from yesteryear, which we've always been a fan of, hmm. which was Eileen and Gail shouting at each other in the middle of the street as, as her pleasant spell evaporates. Or is it... Gail bumping into Eileen in the first place while speaking Italian and making her drop those pumpkins. That'll do. That'll do. That is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Yes, more storylines like that, please. Yeah. Delightful storylines. Your boring moment of the week. Oh, God. Is it Griff talking about chemtrails? Or is it Stephen explaining to, to Max how you can't be friends with your exes? Is it uh, creepy Christian Esther? <coughs> <coughs> no, because that sort of furthers that storyline, doesn't it? Hmm. Is it is it Dee Dee transferring money to Daniel? Oh yeah, that money back and forth was pretty boring. Mm, yeah, yeah. Let, let's go with that. Okay. For a moment of the week, we don't need to see you transferring money. We know what happens. No. Well, I think that bit wraps up for another week then. Yes. So if you know what wet leg is, please write in to let us know. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. Ah, talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.